our last message was in uh, the beginning of Joshua, where we covered uh, the, the, uh, the woman Rahab and uh, talked about her faith. So I figured we'd, uh, I haven't really picked out a, a permanent book to study in yet, but I think we'll just, uh, for now, we'll just stick into the book of Joshua. And we're going to the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. I actually want to read the passage first uh, to get an idea of what's going on here. And you can look at, starting with verse uh, 14, Joshua 24, verse 14, read a short uh, passage here. We'll give you some background uh, afterwards, but first of all, we'll start with verse 14. Now, therefore, Joshua says, remember, Joshua's at the end of his ministry here. He's ready to pass on, and he's giving instructions to the people of Israel. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. The Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight, who preserved us in all the way that we went among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. Now, here's a question for you. Would you not think in reading this particular passage of Scripture that the people, the Israelites, did the right thing? Would you not say that they responded appropriately? Is this not a good response? Is it not a good response for them to respond, we will serve the Lord? Well, I would suggest to you this morning that this was not the right response. I would suggest to you that it was not a good response for the people of Israel. Now, is that shocking? Now, before you call me a heretic and kind of drag me out of the church here, let me explain why I'm saying this. I'm going to go straight to the text. 
Joshua has called for a commitment to the people three times. And three times the Israelites respond, we will obey, we will serve the Lord. Now, what I'm going to do in this message is take three segments of dialogue uh, that we've read here. Three segments of dialogue. And Joshua, in the first one, Joshua speaks uh, to the people. The people respond and Joshua speaks. Uh, That's the first one. It's found in verse 14 through 20. In the second one, the people uh, speak and Joshua responds. That's found in verse 21 and 22. And then the people speak and Joshua responds again. And that's the third one found in verses 22 through 24. I want to take those three segments and kind of work through them. And then I want to bear out a couple of implications here. Because if I'm correct that this was not the right response for the people of Israel, the implications are startling. So here's the first dialogue. And uh, it's found in verses 14 through 20, if you want to look there. But, but wait a minute, let's, let's, let's first of all get some context here. So I'm not going to go through all the verses in, uh, in Joshua 24, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to follow. If, if you follow along with me, I'm just going to point out some phrases here. And God is speaking through Joshua to the nation of Israel. And he says things like this, starting in verse 3. God says in verse 3, I took your father Abraham. I gave him Isaac. Verse 4, I gave to Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I gave unto Esau. Verse 5, I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt. I brought you out. Verse 6, I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Verse 7, He, now that's the Lord, put darkness between you and the Egyptians. Your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Verse 8, I brought you into into the land of the Amorites. I gave them into your hand. I destroyed them. Verse 10, I would not listen to Balaam. I delivered you. Verse 11, I delivered them into your hand. Verse 12, I sent the hornet before you. Verse 13, I have given you a land. Eighteen times in these 13 verses, God says, I did this. I did this on your behalf. I did this for your good. I did this to do you well. I did these things. And then verse 14 starts off with what two words? Now, therefore, therefore, Joshua is just starting to talk here himself in verse 14, and he says, therefore, in light of all these marvelous, miraculous things that God has done for you, therefore, he says, God has made you a people God has delivered you from slavery. God has driven out the inhabitants of the land. God has brought you into the land. Therefore, he says, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Now, those two terms, sincerity and truth, I think are key 
to our understanding of the text this morning. And he says in verse 15, Joshua says himself, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then you go to verse 16, verse 16 through 18, the people themselves repeat, repeat a brief synopsis of their history and they pledge their service to God. Now, here's where the text gets interesting. In verse 19, Joshua, the leader of Israel, seems to reject their commitment. Now, did you catch that? The people say, we will fear, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, you cannot serve the Lord. Now, what's going on? That is not the normal thing you would hear from a person professing faith in Christ, right? It's like someone coming up after the service, taking one of the pastors by the hand and saying, I want to be saved. And one of us saying to them, well, you don't want to be saved. I mean, it's just, it's just weird to hear that. That's the feeling of verse 19 when he says, you cannot serve the Lord. Now, what makes it feel so blunt like that is that Joshua himself has just affirmed that he's going to serve the Lord. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, is Joshua just being arrogant here? Or is he being prideful? Or has Joshua spotted something or heard something, something that is wrong, something that is Deadly wrong. Something is amiss in this people's allegiance, their pledge, their so-called uh, statement of faith to the Lord. So what's going on here? Well, I believe Joshua must have thought the people's pledge to be insincere and unbelieving. Remember, remember verse 14, he says, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. So I'm going to give you three reasons uh, really quickly here to why uh, that would be the case. Why Joshua thought their, the people's commitment, their statement of faith is insincere. Now, what kind of keyed me into this is when Joshua replies you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. So Joshua is saying, you don't get it. You're not getting it. When the people say, we will serve the Lord, notice he didn't say, well, good for you. Welcome. Get behind me and let's get going for the Lord. He didn't say that. He said, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. Now, that keys me into their insincerity because he's responding to what they've just said. So, listen to me carefully here this morning. There is a right way and there is a wrong way to respond to God's work on your behalf. And Joshua, I think, represents the right way. Now, let me explain what I mean. The right way to view God's work on your behalf, God's work in your life for good, 
is to see that God is working all things for His glory. And it's from pure grace that you have the blessings that you have from God today. That you're sharing in the abundance of the blessings and the goodness of God. It's all from sheer grace. It's a gift from God. You have what you have. All the blessings that you enjoy have been bestowed on you by God. And they are for His glory. And they're from sheer grace. You did nothing to deserve them. And God says to the people in Ezekiel verse 20 and verse 44, He says, I'm going to deal with you for my name's sake. In other words, you know what? What I'm doing to you, what I'm doing with you, I'm doing for my own glory. So right away, to respond uh, to all of this is to respond to him in this way. That's the, this is the right way. You know what, Lord? I'm not worthy of all the blessings that you poured out on me. I'm not worthy for all the things that God has done for me. I'm not worthy for the grace that he has lavished on my life. And I praise his name and I will serve him whether he does good to me in the future or not. I will serve him because he is good. I will serve him because he is great. I will serve him because he is God. Now that's the right way. The wrong way would be something like this. This is how I believe the people were responding. The wrong way is to see, is to view these blessings as God, uh, how good God has been to me. I must be special. God must have shared some special favor on me to give me all this. And you know what? As long as he keeps giving to me, you know, as long as times are good, I'll come to church. As long as my finances are going well, I'll give. As long as my relationships are intact and God is on my side, I'm going to serve the Lord. Now, we don't verbalize that oftentimes, but... Oftentimes, if you admit it, that's the way we think. That's the way we live. And that's why I believe, that's why the people were responding, That uh, I think they were responding that way. Now, remember their history? Remember back in the, in the wilderness, the response from the people of God? God had just delivered them from Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh and his army are hot on their heels. They're on the edges of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And God puts a cloud between them and the Egyptians. And, uh, and God opens up the Red Sea to allow them to walk across that sea on dry land. And when the Egyptian army comes to follow them through there, the waters overflow and the Egyptian army is destroyed and God saves his people. They're drowned in the Red Sea and God leads his people out into the wilderness. Now that alone, all of that is amazing, That what God has done for them. And when they get into the wilderness, and the diet is not exactly what they would prefer, what do they do? They say, let's go back to Egypt. It was good back then. You know, as long as God is doing us good, 
As long as God is getting us away from our enemies and getting us through the Red Sea and all these blessings are being poured on, on the, uh, out on us, we're going to serve him. But since we don't have a proper diet, hey, let's forsake everything and go back to, the, to, the, to Egypt. Now, remember their future. In the future, they act the same way. You leave Joshua and you run right into the book, uh, book of Judges. And what do they keep doing in the book of Judges? They keep turning away from God. And over in the Minor Prophets, one of the key messages of the Minor Prophets you'll find in Malachi chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14. Listen to the words of the people here. It is useless to serve God, and what prophet is it? I mean, do you hear that? What good is it, is it going to do me now to serve God? What good is it for me now? What have you done for me lately, God? And that's what they said in Malachi. So that's their attitude, I believe, in Joshua chapter 24. The best explanation for why Joshua says, you cannot serve the Lord. He's picking up on something, uh, something in the people that he doesn't like. He doesn't want to see. It shouldn't be there. So they're not only insincere, but they're unfaithful and they're unbelieving. And what keys me into that is that Joshua responds this way. You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. And listen to what he says. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Now, if God had forgiven their, uh, well, if God, uh, if they were a believing people, God would have forgiven them already. But Joshua says, God's not going to forgive your trespasses. God's not going to forgive your sins. Now, here's the biggest indicator for me. Stick with me here. I'm trying to explain it. In our English translations, if you look at verse 20, it says, if you forsake the Lord. The Hebrew word there that's translated if is the Hebrew word key. And you can spell that in English as K-E-E -E if you want to. Key is a, is a word used for causation, not condition. In other words, key means cause and effect. It doesn't necessarily mean if something happens, then something else is going to happen. Key is better translated as this, as certainly, or because, or of a truth. Now watch what happens if we read it that way. Verse 20. Because you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And that is exactly what happens in their future. They forsake God and God does them harm. Now, now really, Joshua is only repeating what Moses has already told them. Moses, in Deuteronomy 30, is getting ready to die. And he's making his final appeal to the nation of Israel. And he lists all the blessings of God on the people of Israel. And he says, you know what? If you follow the Lord, the Lord is going to bless you, and the Lord is going to bless you abundantly. And he lists all these blessings. But then he lists all these curses. And he says, you know what? If you don't follow the Lord... If you refuse to obey him, the Lord is going to make all these curses come upon you. 
And he says, I've given you this choice, this choice between life and death. And he says, choose life. Choose life. And then you know what Moses says? He goes on and he says, you know what? You're not going to follow the Lord. You're going to forsake the Lord further on down the road. You're going to walk away from him. You're going to turn away from him. So he lays out all these blessings and these curses. He asks them to choose. And then he tells them, yeah, you're not going to follow the Lord. And that's exactly what Joshua does in Joshua 24. So what Moses tells them at the end of his ministry there in in Deuteronomy 30, Joshua is telling them the exact same thing in Joshua 24 at the end of his ministry. Well, let's look at the second dialogue here. That's found in verses 21 and 22. Now, this makes their response even more interesting, even more revealing. Because they say this, the people say, no, but we will serve the Lord. And so in the context of Joshua, he's already told them, you cannot serve the Lord. You, you, You don't get it yet. You're not hearing me. You don't understand. You're not able to serve the Lord. In fact, you're going to turn away from the Lord. And what do the people do in their response? Well, they stiffen up their backs and they dig in their heels and they say, no, we won't. We will serve the Lord. And then Joshua once again responds in a very unusual way. Because he doesn't say, well, you know, I was just wanted to make sure you were sincere. So welcome aboard. Right. Let's go serve the Lord together. No, he says, you are witnesses against yourselves. He says, "Okay." he says, I'm the man of God and you keep uh, proclaiming your own self-reliance and uh, your witnesses against yourself. Now, that's the second dialogue. Let's look at the third one. It's found in verses the end of verse 22 through verse 24. What do they say? They say, we are witnesses. We're going to do this, right? We know we will. We know more than you, Joshua. We know we can do this. We know we will do this. We have decided to do this. Verses 23 and 24. Here's another thing that kind of keys me into the fact that Joshua knew that they were insincere because he tells them for a second time. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you. So here it goes. We will serve the Lord. No, you won't. Oh, yes, we will. We will serve the Lord. Then put away the foreign gods that you've got. He tells them that twice. Once in verse 14 and once in verse 23. And you know the rest of the chapter. They never do put their, uh, their, their idols away. They never do cast them off. They never said they would. And so they proclaimed to live for the Lord while all the time uh, keeping these strange gods in their closet just in case God lets them down sometime. And then they can bring out that idol and they can polish it back up and they can get what they want. So they're insincere and they're unbelieving. 
I think the next part of what Joshua says is another clue here as to what's being said in this text. Look at, verse, look at what he says in verse 24. Uh, and the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. Okay, they said that just after he said in verse 23, Now therefore, put away the foreign gods which are among you, and incline your heart to the God of Israel. Joshua said, incline your heart to God. Incline your heart to the Lord. And the people respond, the Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. Well, here's the point. That was the wrong response. That was the wrong way to answer Joshua saying, Incline your heart to the Lord. Bend your heart to the Lord. Turn your heart to God. Love God with all your heart. The wrong response would be to say, we will obey. We will serve. Now here's why. We're told in the Scriptures, our hearts are naturally bent away from God. That is our natural state. And we cannot, in our own strength, ever bend or turn or incline our hearts to God. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, and sin came into the world, sin was introduced into the world, all their posterity fell under sin. And as David says in Psalm 51, we're born in sin, we're conceived in sin. Our hearts come in a fallen state. The Bible says we're at enmity with God. We're against God. Our hearts are naturally bent away from God. We don't love God. We don't love the things of God. We love ourselves. We love our own pleasures. We love the world. We love the enticements of the world. We don't love God naturally. And in our own strength, we cannot turn our hearts to stop loving the things of the world and start loving God. As a matter of fact, you can't really turn your heart in any area of your life. You just love what you love. Because that's just who you are. That comes natural for you, right? Why is it That my children love pizza, but they hate Brussels sprouts. Now, it's not that they've set the pizza and the Brussels sprouts together, and they've said, well, I think uh, these Brussels sprouts have this many nutrients and essentials for my body that are good for me. And this pizza, well, it's kind of limited in its nutrition. So I'll tell you what, I bend my heart towards the broccoli. I'm going to love the broccoli. Doesn't happen, right? They taste the pizza, they taste the broccoli, and they say, I love pizza. That's just because they are who they are. They just love what they love. How about you who are married? I know some of you have had arranged marriages and things like that. But when you had a choice, you didn't line up a bunch of members of the opposite sex along a wall 
and say, okay, well, this person's pretty nice. They've got a good personality. This person's very intelligent. Whoa, this person's pretty hot, uh, pretty good looking. And uh, this person's got a good mix of all of them. So I will choose this person. I choose to love this person. Is that what happens? No, not on your life. You meet that special You meet that special person in your life, just like I met my wife many years ago, 33 some years ago, and I got to know her. And as I got to know her, my heart said, I love her. I couldn't help it. That's who I am. I just love what I love. I love my wife. Have you ever decided to love something that you don't love? I mean, I think that's what makes dieting so hard, huh? Oh, I should have said that the opposite way. Have you ever decided not to love something that you love? Right? Makes dieting hard. I love chocolate chip cookies. I don't eat as much, right? I may not eat chocolate chip cookies all the time, but it's not because I've chosen not to eat them anymore. It's not that I, I say, well, you know what? I bend my heart away from chocolate chip cookies. No, I still love chocolate chip cookies. I just don't eat them so much anymore. And it's, you know, my wife doesn't make uh, them much anymore, and it, it's because I've asked her not to. But I still love them. You see, you don't incline your heart. It's just inclined. David knew this when he wrote Psalm 119 in verse 36. David knew he couldn't incline his heart. And so you know what he said? He said, Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. David said, Lord, I don't love your testimonies like I should. I can't make myself love them. I can't choose to love them. Lord, would you bend my heart toward your testimonies? Incline my heart. Solomon knew he couldn't, we couldn't incline our hearts. So Solomon said in 1 Kings verse, uh, chapter 8 and verse 58, Solomon was praying for the people, and he said that he, that's God, that he may incline our hearts to walk in all his ways. So that what? So that we will keep his commandments. So that we can keep his statutes and his judgments. Moses knew the people's hearts weren't right. Going back to Deuteronomy 29 and verse 4. Listen to what Moses told the people in some of his last words to them before he died. He said this, Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive. Moses said to the people, your hearts are not right. right. God hasn't given you the right heart yet. But then he goes on to say in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. He will change your heart so that you will obey him. And so the right answer, instead of people boldly proclaiming their willful 
self-reliant allegiance, the right response for the people would have been to see themselves as utterly incapable of serving the Lord and to cry out to God for mercy. If they would have just honestly evaluated their history, you know, we can't go into the promised land. I know God is with us. I know God will fight for us. But you know what? There's giants in the land. We can't go in there. If they would have just looked at their closets and the foreign gods that were in there that they were keeping, but no, they proclaimed their allegiance to the Lord instead of crying out to God for mercy and praying like the tax collector, God be merciful to me, a sinner. No, I'm not good. And I can't make myself good. I need your mercy, Lord. You know, sometimes I hear a a chorus in churches, and we've probably sung it in this church as well, that is really nothing more than a psalm of David. You know this phrase, change my heart, O God. We need to pray like David in Psalm 51, when he says to God, create in me a clean heart. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 tells us that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Nothing we can do can ever earn any measure of God's grace in our life. It takes God to change us through His mercy and His grace, and then we can truly serve Him. So here's our thought today. How can we proclaim our faith to God when our closets are all filled up with idols? And I would ask all of us, all of us who sit here today who would claim to serve God, and I would imagine would say with the Israelites when they said, we will serve the Lord, and you would say it sincerely, but how can we claim to love God when we cling to those, un, uh, those old sinful ways? When we cling to that old sinful habit? When we cling to that sinful relationship? When we cling to those things that we know are ungodly and unpleasing to God? Why do we cling to those things? Because we love them. Because our hearts are inclined towards them. We don't want to let them go. Yes, we want to serve God. We don't want to let this go. And we'll sing in the, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come to church uh, every week and we'll, we'll sing these songs with uh, enthusiasm and we'll, we'll give to the offerings and we'll do everything we're supposed to do. We will serve the Lord while all the time we've got these idols in our closets because we still love the things that God does not love. And our hearts are still bent away from God. Well, let me give you some, just some implications and we'll be done. First implication is this. 
It is possible to respond to God with the right words and yet remain separated from God. It is possible to say all the right things, but to say them for the wrong reasons and therefore still be an unbeliever. Verbal confessions are meaningless unless they are, uh, uh, if they, uh, let's say, they're meaningless if they are divorced from a change of heart. If you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for any other reason, save that your heart has been changed by God, and now you love God, and that's why you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm go- I want to be saved. I want to serve him. If, if, it's, if it's coming because of something that's happened within you, that God has done a work in your heart through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, that's the right way. The danger here is to agree with biblical facts and make public professions in order to obligate God to do something for you. So look back. Look back at your profession of faith. Did it arise from a heart that's been changed by God? Or did it arrive from any other compulsion? If so, it came from a wrong source. It's a wrong reason. It's an invalid reason. And maybe, I'm not trying to shake your faith at all, but maybe, maybe, uh, you're realizing even today that your heart has never been changed. You've been going through the motions, but your heart has never been changed. So don't respond like this way. Don't respond by saying, you know what, I know I haven't been loving God as I should, and I haven't, know I haven't been doing what I should be doing, but from now on, I'm going to serve the Lord. From now on, I'm going to do right. Well, that's the wrong way. Respond like this. God, I've I've tried on my own. Lord, I've made hundreds of commitments and I, I can't do it. I can't do it in my own power. I cannot serve you through my own efforts. My heart is wrong. Lord, change my heart through Jesus Christ so that I will love you, so that I will serve you as I should. Implication number two. There is a way that we can serve God and it still be sin. There is a way that we can serve God and it still be sin. Namely, when you serve God with a wrong motivation. You know, I'm going to do this because maybe God will do that for me. When you serve God for a wrong reason. In order that maybe He might owe you something. For example, trying to do good works so that you can earn God's grace, so that maybe someday God will allow you into heaven. That's not what grace is. Grace is God's unmerited favor. right? In other words, you can't do anything to earn it. It's given freely, but it's only given through Jesus Christ. Or maybe you serve God simply because you feel that God thinks you're so special. Somehow God needs you. Or maybe because times are good. You know, finances are good. The home is stable right now. 
yeah, I'll serve the Lord. If those are your reasons, again, those are wrong reasons. It's a wrong way. It's a sinful way to serve God. Now, here's how we know our service to God is authentic and sincere. Do you serve God because God is great? Or do you serve God because you think maybe that God thinks that you're great? As long as you keep thinking how great you are, you cannot serve the Lord. Or do you serve God because no matter what life brings, He is God. And He is worthy of all the praise and glory and service and obedience that I can bring Him. And I love Him, and I worship Him, and I serve Him. You know what? That's the right reason. 